an anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Episode 445, submission number 2502. The Overmeyer Network, aka the United Network. The Overmeyer Network, also known as the United Network, was a television network that launched on May 1st, 1967 and closed on June 1st of 1967. Guys, over the decades, we've had plenty of channels try to make themselves the fourth network. We could say Dumont. And Dumont was actually really good early on, and then it petered out in, around like 1954, and ABC sort of took that mantle. But uh, if we look at other channels... Specifically, I think we can talk about Fox. Fox was really the first fourth network to actually do something, even though it had its struggles. I mean, even though it started in 86, 87, it really didn't hit the super big time until 1990, primarily to uh, that animated family that's like got jaundice. You know what I'm talking about. But it did have success, obviously, early on, Married with Children and Tracy Ellman show. We also had... WB, and at the same time, UPN. So you actually had two networks striving to be the fifth network. And ultimately, as we know, they merged together and became the CW. And then you had MyTV. Is that even still a thing? It's not a network per se, as it is a syndicated distribution model. Yeah, Channel 9 here is still My9. Wow, I did not know that still exists. And obviously we could talk about ION or PAX or I or the different names it's had over the last 25 plus years. And that legit could be, eh, we'll say the sixth network. I think the hierarchy would be CW is number five right now. ION I think is solid six. And actually... I didn't know this, but taking a look at the ratings for the year in terms of viewership numbers, I did not know Ion is in the top 10. Top 10 viewers overall. It did break it down into uh, like 18 to 39 and adults. The top 10 rating came with adults. Now, obviously, it's a little bit lower for the 18 to 39s, but I was surprised by that because every time I look at Ion, I just flip by it. Because, Mike, everybody wants to watch marathons of old reruns of Blue Bloods. Okay, I get that to a point. It's like all they show is crime serials. They show Blue Bloods, like you said. They show at least one version of CSI. There's no comedy on there. There's no variety. It's just basically just like crime uh, serials and not even American ones. I've seen some show from Canada. I don't remember what it is, but it's like, this is weird, but people are watching it. So yeah, we have a history of trying to find a competitor to the big three, now the big four. But if we go back in time about 57 years, 
there was another network that was around for a little while. It was originally called the Overmeyer Network. And I think we need to talk about the person who created the Overmeyer Network first. A gentleman by the name of Daniel Overmeyer, and the best way I can describe him is he is the warehouse king of Toledo. Abe Froman is the sausage king of Chicago. Daniel Overmeyer is the warehouse king of Toledo. So he started acquiring TV stations around the United States, obviously starting with uh, Toledo first, his uh, hometown. And his goal was he wanted to create a network that really focused on his conservative beliefs. Not necessarily overly religious, but he was against smut. And he even declared as much. And he created this network with the leadership of former ABC president, Oliver Trays. It was scheduled to debut in fall of 1967 with anywhere from 75 to 125 affiliates. And the original plan was an eight-hour broadcast day. So you could see that with uh, a lot of the channels that wanted to become the fourth or fifth networks around here. Because remember Fox, and they still do this, primetime is two hours, and they really don't do any sort of Saturday morning stuff anymore, and they don't do weekdays necessarily. CW, same thing. Ion, well, again, they're like not 24-7 reruns, but probably like 18 hours a day reruns. So among the programs that were going to be offered on the Overmeyer Network, they had to deal with uh, UPI, United Press International, to provide each station with news. Sort of like a little news capsule thing. Like if you remember the uh, four films back in like the 40s and 50s, they'd show news clips in like little two, three minute segments. Think of that. It wasn't a full-fledged newscast like World News Tonight, or anything you'd see on CNN or, uh, or or any other network. It was just a little blast of news. And also among the programs that were going to be offered was Tales from the Great Book, which, as you can guess, was a Bible series, an animated Bible series. But bigger than that, they did have plans to show sports. And actually, the Overmeyer Network and the Continental Football League they had a three-year contract to air 14 Saturday night games on the network starting in fall of 1966. And I told Greg before the show, I said, you're going to learn about a new football league because I said, there's this competitor to the AFL and the NFL in the mid-60s. And he mentioned the World Football League. That was in the early 70s. But yeah, the Continental Football League was going to have their games aired on the Overmeyer Network. Now, I'm sure the question that everybody's asking, including Greg, is what is the Continental Football League? Now, hold on. I have a question. Oh, before we get to the Continental Football League, yes. You said Saturday nights, right? Yes. So, obviously, they would not be playing in the fall to avoid college football, right? Uh, the research I did said specifically fall of 1966 after Labor Day. What? Well, was college football... On a Saturday night, a big thing in 1966-67. Oh, yeah, you're right. So getting back to the Continental Football League, 
it ran from 1965 to 1969. And they actually had teams, not just in the United States, but since it's continental, they had teams in Canada and Mexico too. They actually had some name people playing on those teams. Sam Weish, Gero Yepremian, Otis Sistrunk, Ken Stabler. Ken Stabler, obviously Super Bowl champion with the Raiders. Gero Yepremian, you know, from the, uh, yeah. But also Sam Weish. I'd be remiss not to mention the famous speech he did. What was it? Like with the Bengals? It with... was 1989 in Cincinnati because people in Cincinnati were throwing snowballs onto the field. Oh, yeah. And he said, you don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. Will the next person that sees anybody throw anything onto this field, point them out, or get them out of here. You don't live in Cleveland. You live in Cincinnati. R.I.P. Sam Weich. I don't have a full list of the teams. I have the uh, standings for each season. And there are, like I said, quite a few teams here. It says 22 teams. Toronto Rifles, Philadelphia Bulldogs, Norfolk Neptunes, Hartford Charter Oaks, Brooklyn Dodgers, Orlando Panthers, Charleston Rockets, Montreal Beavers, Richmond Rebels, Wheeling Ironmen. Oh, by the way, who went 0-14 in the 1966 season. You also had, looks like starting in 1967, Akron Vulcans, Eugene Bombers, Long Beach Admirals, Orange County Ramblers, Sacramento Buccaneers, San Jose Apaches, Seattle Rangers, Victoria Steelers, Ohio Valley Ironmen started in 1968, Michigan Arrows started in 1968, Charleston Rockets, Chicago Owls, Arkansas Diamonds, Indianapolis Capitals, Quad City Raiders slash Las Vegas Cowboys. That makes it sound like they may have moved in that season. And I'm sure that the NFL's Cowboys and Raiders did not like the use of those names. And the Mexico team, from what I can tell, is the Mexico Golden Aztecs, which ceased operations and forfeited the part of the 1969 schedule that they didn't play. Now I'm curious to see how many games they played if they had a forfeit in the middle of the season. Two and six. They played eight games. They won two. And speaking of Las Vegas Cowboys, Greg, you're not going to believe this, where they played. Where? Cashman Field. Oh, well, they have something in common with the Vegas Vipers. But I guarantee you Cashman Field back then was much more playable than what happened in the XFL last season. I just find it weird that another team played football there 55 years earlier. By the way, Mike, on the way to my house, and I'll probably have it by next week, the XFL shop is discounting a lot of their T-shirts now that they're merging with the USFL. So guess who got a Vegas Vipers long sleeve T-shirt for 11 bucks? We've said it for going on five years. Greg hates money. And it normally priced at $40. Like I said, as we've mentioned, Greg absolutely abhors money. But we're not here to talk about the Continental Football League, and we're not here to talk about Greg's spending habits. We're here to talk about the Overmeyer Network. So, yeah, it was going to have a little bit of everything. They had plans to show sports. They had plans to show 
cartoons, albeit biblical cartoons. They actually had plans at one point to show a different genre of show every night. So one night you might get dramas, one night you might get game shows, one night you might get some other genre, which is all nice and good, but uh, there's a little bit deeper story uh, into the Overmeyer Network and what happened. So the original plan for the Overmeyer Network was to have 125 affiliates. And actually, one thing that I saw earlier said that they had 123, or at least 123 channels lined up to carry its programs. Not necessarily be a full-fledged affiliate, because I saw there were CBS affiliates listed, there were ABC affiliates. So just some method of transmitting Overmeyer Network programming. Uh, in July of 1966, the Overmeyer Network planned to provide its affiliates with a two-hour live variety show originating from the Hotel Hacienda in Las Vegas. Two hours live every night. Pretty daring if you ask me. And this show would come to be known as the Las Vegas show, which takes us to episode 445, submission number 2502B, the Las Vegas show. The Las Vegas show aired on the Overmeyer Network from May 1st, 1967 to June 1st, 1967, for a total of 23 episodes. And that 23 episodes is seven more than your traditional crock block. And we know what a crock block is. The number of aired episodes of Salvage One, the number of total episodes of Husband Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, and Schooled, and J.J. Starbuck, and Uncle Crock's Block, and... Oh, there's so many that I'm forgetting. Oh, Jabberjaw and Tiger King and Little Bush and something I did during my winter break since last week we didn't cover any shows and we did the year in review before that. One thing I did right around Christmas time, I went on a big hunt of shows that had 16 episodes. And one commonality I saw among all the shows that I found that had 16 episodes they were all Hanna-Barbera productions. Sit back because this is a big list and each of these series had 16 episodes. Oh boy, I can't wait for this. This is the meat and potatoes of the episode, guys. So just, yeah, like I said, get a sandwich, kick back. The Pebbles and Bam Bam Show. Help, it's the Hair Bear Bunch. The Amazing Chan and the Chan Clan. Josie and the Pussycats. And, amazingly enough, Josie and the Pussycats in Outer Space, they both ran for exactly 16 shows. Speed Buggy, Super Friends, Goober and the Ghost Chasers, the Addams Family Animated Series, Hong Kong Fooey, Devlin, Cartridge Family 2200 AD, The Tom and Jerry Show from 1975, The Great Grape Ape Show, The Scooby-Doo Dynamut Hour, Challenge of the Super Friends, The New Schmoo, Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo, Drag Pack, and last but not least, the Quickie Koala Show, which I know is absolutely beloved to the one and only Chico. Damn right. No, it's beloved to me, so it's two people, the Quickie Koala Show. I didn't know you liked the Quickie Koala Show. I know Chico loved it. You need to get you some Quickie Koala, Mike. You need to be educated on this. I just don't share the same love of it that you guys have. 
Now, time out. The only reason I found out about the Quickie Koala show's existence is because my good friend, the late Roy Braxton, brought it up on an episode of WrestleCrap Radio, the Quickie Koala show. So that's why it became so beloved to meet the Quickie Koala show. So, yeah, going back to the Las Vegas show, before we start talking about the Las Vegas show, we need to step back a little bit because our patriarch of this network, Mr. Overmeyer, he actually sold 80% of his stake in the network before it even went to air. Stunning, shrewd, maybe in retrospect. So the Las Vegas show, it originated from the Hotel Hacienda in Las Vegas, appropriate enough. And it was hosted by well-known comedian Bill Dana. Now, not every affiliate aired the Las Vegas show live. Some did, and it was a two-hour show and went up against Carson. I believe it aired from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m., but a number of affiliates either aired it the next day in the afternoon or on a one-night delay, and some of them even showed it as late-night programming on weekends. And actually, again, doing research, it looks like in New York City, the biggest... Hold on. Get it out of your system, damn it. New York City. You heard me, New York City. New York City. They actually aired it like three in the morning. Biggest market in the United States, and they're showing your show at three in the morning. Of the 123 affiliates that I talked about earlier, only 106 stations actually aired the Las Vegas show. Just between you and me. It's really tough not to say the Las Vegas Gambit show. I, I'm really trying to, I, I want to throw a gambit in there, but it's like, no, it's the Las Vegas show. And even with its short run, the Las Vegas show had quite a roster of guests. Listen to these names. On the premiere, Milton Burl and Jack Palance. And then throughout the course of the series, you had Alan and Rossi, Sarah Vaughn, Rich Little, Julius LaRosa, Arthur Godfrey, Della Reese, Pat Morita, Giselle McKenzie, Dave Madden. You have Ruben Kincaid on this. Liberace. Is there anybody more Vegas than Liberace? Elvis. I thought you were going to say Wayne Newton, but Liberace, I think, epitomized Vegas in the 60s. You also had Rod Serling, Hugh Hefner, John Wayne, Don Rickles, Marty Ingalls, Robert Clary, J.P. Morgan, Pete Barbuti, who we talked about last month on the New Liars Club, Xavier Cugat, Charo, Joanne Worley, and Ann Elder. So you had some quality names here. This was not like just digging up somebody off the street and be like, well, you want 50 bucks to, you know, sing and dance or tell a joke. No, they had quality names on this show. And actually the level of quality was so high that the first episode of the Las Vegas show actually had better ratings than the tonight show. Like vastly better ratings. Now, admittedly again, first night and they pulled out the big guns. I mentioned Milton Berle and Jack Palance, among others. So the ratings were there. What happened? I can't do that sort of voice that Chico does. What happened? 
What happened? That wasn't really the voice I was expecting, but I'll take it. So one reason I think this failed is the United Network, which was the new name of uh, the Overmeyer Network. I should add that. Once Overmeyer sold out his share of the network, it now became branded as the United Network. And as far as I can tell, that's the name that it used in its month of broadcasting. Did not go by Overmeyer Network. It went by United Network. And the United Network asked for $6,000 per minute of advertising for the Las Vegas show, which is roughly a third the going rate for the Tonight Show at the time. However, there were a few takers on the advertising. That might be a problem right there. If you have one show and you can't get the advertisers to pop aboard your show, you're not going to last very long. Now, there's no evidence of the show. So all we can go by is celebrity listings. There's some interviews out there. Deeper Beauty did an interview 11 or 12 years ago, and there's a transcript of it online getting into why the Las Vegas show failed and why the United Network failed. His interview basically corroborates what I'm going to mention about the downfall of the United Network here. So on June 22nd of 1967, the United Network filed a bankruptcy petition which listed the network's assets as $1.132 million. But at the same time, they had liabilities exceeding $1.8 million. So there's over a $600,000 difference there. That $1.8 million also included, believe it or not, $25,700 to Bill Dana. I don't know whether he didn't get paid at all, but he didn't get paid a significant portion of money. The United Network went to court so that it can continue operations while paying off its debts. The bankruptcy filing did not mark the end of the United Network, however. Under a month after filing for bankruptcy, James W. Nichols, who was the executive director at the United Network, had plans for the network to make a comeback. After working up to 20 hours a day attempting to line up financiers and meeting with creditors. Regarding the network's comeback, Nichols said, and I quote, when we go back on the air, we'll have three to four hours of programming a day. We're looking at a wide range of programs, specials, regular features, variety shows, and documentaries. We may very well revive a show from Vegas. Asked if Bill Dana would host the new show from Vegas, Nichols responded, I've got a great deal of respect for Bill, but I don't know if he will fit into our plans for the future. Nichols expected the revived United Network to serve over 70 independent stations by September 1967. When told that the network would need 25 to $30 million in order just to get off the ground, Nichols said, if we operated the way the networks do, we'd need that, but we're not going to do it that way. We make no bones about having any grandiose plans or of being an overnight competition to the networks. So what went wrong with the United Network? Nichols said that when his group bought out Overmeyer, it found itself with no creative staff, no technical staff, and no facilities, despite being committed to go on air in a month. It was a nightmare, believe me, said Nichols. The main issue in terms of the money, the liabilities, had to deal with the transmission lines, 
which were leased from AT&T, they're expensive. Let's say that. And again, Las Vegas show wasn't getting those sponsors, even though they're asking $6,000 a minute. And tonight's show, I think, was asking about $17,000 a minute. They had nobody buying into it, and they were just hemorrhaging money. Now, I do have a list of some of the affiliates. I'm going to just briefly go through some of them. I'm not going to give the whole list, but also I do have some of the stations that aired the Las Vegas show. So among the affiliates of the United Network, you had WPIX 11 in New York, KHJ in Los Angeles, WGN Chicago, WPHL in Philadelphia, WCCB in Charlotte, KEMO in San Francisco, WKBD in Detroit, WBMO in Atlanta, Toledo, WDHO. Oh, by the way, I should say WDHO. Daniel H. Overmeyer. He liked doing that with the stations he bought. He'd name stations after his wife or his daughter, his kids, relatives. So if you see back in the 60s, a station that ends in the letter O, it's possibly an Overmeyer network or Overmeyer owned at that point. So yeah, W Daniel H. Overmeyer, WDHO 24 in Toledo, ATNT in Seattle, KZAZ Tucson, KWGN in Denver, WECO in Pittsburgh, WMET in Baltimore, WTTG in Washington, D.C., KPHO in Phoenix, KICU in Fresno, KLOC in Modesto, California, and KJDO in Houston. Some of these channels signed on to the network, but other channels in the market would air the Las Vegas show, like, for example, WBMO, which right now is WATL, a My Network TV affiliate. They signed on to the network, but the Las Vegas show actually aired on WAGA Channel 5, which is now a Fox affiliate. Well, going through the stations that showed the Las Vegas show, you see a lot of them have CBS affiliation. When you think about it, it makes sense because NBC has this thing called The Tonight Show, which is a juggernaut. But also, at the same time, ABC had a reasonably new show in late night, The Joey Bishop Show. And in the Cleveland area, on WEWS, the ABC affiliate here, they showed the Las Vegas show the next afternoon. And also they showed it on Sunday nights. So you don't have the direct competition with the Joey Bishop show. But now you've got filler in like the mid afternoon. I think it aired like, I want to say two to three 30 or one 30 to three 30. And then it aired like after the news on Sundays, like 1130 to one 30. So you didn't compete with the network programming at that point. Just very weird. But yeah, I mean, it makes sense that a lot of these channels are CBS affiliates because they had nothing going on at late night in uh, 1967. So that's our little look at the Overmeyer Network. Uh, what can we say besides the Overmeyer Network and the Las Vegas show? They tried. I mean, they legit tried. 
Problem is, maybe the powers that be, Daniel Overmeyer or people who ran it after he sold out, maybe they didn't understand the costs that were associated with running a network, or maybe they just didn't have the ability to get uh, advertisers aboard. And while they couldn't get those advertisers, the cost of running the network just kept going up and up and up. And unfortunately, the Overmeyer Network and the Las Vegas show, they became one-month wonders, and they're a very little talked about thing on TV. I mean, seriously, when I brought this up, I think Greg and Chico both sort of had the reaction of, what is the Overmeyer Network? And I told them, this was a competitor back in the 60s, and actually... I'm not even going to take full credit for talking about this because the first place I heard about it was the Omnibus podcast. I don't remember the exact reason, but Ken Jennings mentioned the Overmeyer network. And as soon as I heard that, it's like, Oh good. There's an idea for something to talk about on the podcast. Cause we've talked about plenty of short lived shows. Yes. The Las Vegas show obviously qualifies, but we've never talked about a short lived network, especially one as obscure as this. Now it's funny you mentioned Omnibus because by coincidence, my background is a subject of a previous Omnibus episode. Mike, do you want to explain what this background is behind me? If I knew, I would be glad to share it with you. It's Sergeant Stubby. It's like a dog that was famous around World War One, And they made like an animated movie about this dog like six or seven years ago. And I gotta say, this dog, his reaction with his tongue sticking out, it's very cute. It is a cute reaction. I've never heard of this movie. I'm guessing it's sort of in the same vein as, like, Balto? Something like that. And he was a good dog. Of course Balto was a good dog. He was voiced by Kevin Bacon. I was talking about Sergeant Stubby, but oh. yes, Balto was a good boy, too. No, going back to Balto, of course he was a good boy because he was a husky. And every husky is a good dog. And since it was voiced by Kevin Bacon, I bet it could dance. Let's just get to the Match Game Hollywood Squares recap thingy, whatever. Play the music, me in the past. It's time for this weekend Match Game. Hollywood Squares. Our History. Hey, Mike, I've been looking forward to this week for a long time. No kidding. Gee, I wonder why. We're up to the third week in January of 1984, and, well, you heard Johnny. Johnny's eager to talk about this week, and I know why Johnny's eager to talk about this week. That's right. I was on this week. He was on this week. He filled in for Gene Wood for the Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday episodes this week. Which is odd, because Johnny Olsen doesn't usually announce NBC shows. But he's part of the Goodson Todman family. I get that. Well, and, and the thing is, if you look back at Goodson Todman NBC shows, he definitely did Card Sharks. Didn't do it well. I think his uh, cadence doing the poems was absolutely horrible, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I really sucked at writing those. But And also, let's remember... 
Mind Readers. He was the announcer on Mind Readers. Oh, don't remind me of that pile of crap. You got paid and the checks cleared, right? Yes, I did. Then stop complaining. I'm trying to think if there are even any other shows that uh, Goods of Thomas shows that were on NBC because they all aired on CBS like you mentioned. Password Plus, but he didn't announce that. Are we sure? Yeah, Gene announced Password Plus. We all know this. Well, but he may have been I guess a sub-announcer. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. either him or Rich Jeffries was on the speed dial. I don't think Rich Jeffries was doing announcing at that point. Wait, my mistake. He did announce a week of Password Plus, at least. Looks like two weeks. That's right, Johnny Olsen announced two weeks of Password Plus. Shut up, that's not even a good impression of me. I just wanted to gauge your reaction. Hey, hey, let's get back to the uh, third week of January on MGHSH, shall we? Is that what the kids call it, MGHSH? That's what the kids I know call it. Why is a 44-year-old man hanging out with kids? Never mind. (laughs) Hey, you said it, not me. And for the record, I don't turn 44 until Friday. I got a question. Why is a 44-year-old man watching 40-year-old game show reruns with kids? You got to teach them the classics. (laughs) No, seriously. Not just game shows. Haven't I ever told you guys about when uh, I'm uh, at lunch in my classroom monitoring my seniors and I pull up some old show, I pull up ALF and they get into ALF and I pull up Family Feud with Richard Dawson back in the 70s and 80s. They're watching that. And I even did uh, the new Liars Club. They were too receptive to that, unfortunately. He did not appreciate the greatness of the new Liars Club. Well, you know, they obviously saw the episodes that didn't have from John Berber's kid's favorite show, his favorite character, Sonny LaRue, played by Don Yeso. I can't wait till we get to Frank's place. Wait a minute, we haven't even talked about who's on this week. That's what I was trying to get it back to, but Mike's going on about me turning 44 all of a sudden. You were talking about showing game shows to kids, pervert. (laughs) So as I was saying, this week, we have Bill Cullen, obviously promoting a little show. What show is that, Johnny? Hot Potato. Good. We also had Phyllis Diller, Richard Klein, Ellen Bree, Lyle Wagoner, Brian Mitchell, Linda Dano, and Mr. Black. I think everybody knows about Bill Cullen's polio he did not walk across the stage he was just standing on the corner stage left and they put a spotlight on him and the camera focused in on him to lessen the burden the friday show of this week something very interesting happened the hollywood squares board totally malfunctioned lost all power and instead of doing what they did on Hollywood Squares three, four years later, where they'd actually have placards with X's and O's on it. You actually had the celebrities, and I don't know who thought of this and didn't have like a plan B set in place. They actually had the celebrities hold over their heads, they crossed the arms for X's, or they interlocked their uh, their hands to form an O. So janky, so cheap. I- I'm just surprised that Mark Goodson, of all people, didn't have, like I said, that plan B in place of 
just little cardboard X's and O's or you know, a, a, a piece of cardboard or plexiglass or whatnot with an X on one side and an O on the other. Just because, you know, if you've actually got to like hold your hand up over your head for an extended period of time, that's got to be potentially painful. Uh, I, you know, maybe arms will fall asleep or who knows. I got to say, though, Linda Dano, when we get a couple months from now, oh boy, with Linda Dano, it's going to be hilarity ensuing with a certain contestant. And that's all I'm going to say. Oh, yeah, we're a number of months away from that. Nothing really big happened in terms of big wins. Well, there were a couple of $20,000 wins that week, but nothing in terms of anybody retiring. So that's it for this week. We're going to toss it back to me to close the show. Well, I hope you enjoyed our little look at this very short-lived network, whether you call it Overmeyer Network or the United Network, and obviously talking about the Las Vegas show, the sole show they had here. Please do remember... You can go over to our website at itwasathingontv.com and you can listen to the 444 episodes that were before this. And on top of those 444 episodes, we have all sorts of stuff there. Mini-sodes, live shows, extended versions, instant reactions. I still can't get the Pop-Tarts Bowl out of my mind. That was such a great show. But also, please remember, we're on all social media, including Instagram, Threads, and Mastodon at It Was A Thing On TV, except for Facebook, where we are at It Was A Thing On TV podcast. And please remember, if you want to follow us on Mastodon, you need to search for us at It Was A Thing On TV at tvwatch.party. And also, don't forget, you can subscribe to wherever fine podcasts can be found, including Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, so on and so forth. And please don't forget, we're on YouTube where you can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell to stay informed of all future uploads on that channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. Next time, we're going to talk about a very interesting concept. I remember this back in the day, and I thought it was very clever. Maybe not necessarily the best show or maybe the funniest show, but I think the concept as a whole was genius and this was 17 years ago 18 years ago 16 years ago it was in the late 2000s on a cable channel and chico bless his heart he watched every episode of this so i'm sure he has very thorough notes and can chime in as to his feelings about the show now like i said i like the show to a point but Chico obviously had the initiative to watch every episode. So maybe he found something in this show that he really enjoyed the first time around and said, you know what? I'm taking the reins. We're going to go through with this show and I'm going to lead the way. So that's going to be coming to you on Thursday here at It Was a Thing on TV. As always, thank you very much for listening. Be good to each other. And we'll catch you with that episode later this week. Wow. Hello. May I help you? Sure as I'll try. Hi, I'm Abe Froman. Party of three for 12. Is there a problem? You're Abe Froman. That's right. I'm Abe Froman. The sausage king of Chicago. Yeah, that's me. Listen, young man. Entre nous, I'm very busy here. Why don't you take the kids and go back to the clubhouse? 
Are you suggesting that I'm not who I say I am? I'm suggesting that you leave before I have to get snooty. Snooty? Snotty. Snotty? Okay, Abe. <laughs> Let's go. No, I'm not going anywhere. No, we like to be seated. Listen, young man, either you take the field trip outside or I'm going to have to call the police. The pol You're going to call the police on me? Yes. Fine. As a matter of fact, I'll call them myself. <laughs> yes. <laughs> call the police. <sighs> this will be a hoot. And 